0: Jesus real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your ways. We need Jesus is
1: real. Nehemiah is totally confident in the justice of God. That God's going to work it out. And in a lot of ways, when you become confident that God will work it out, then you realize that you don't have to. How many of us are trying to get justice for something we think is wrong? And it's like, yeah, you're defending yourself. Listen, if you defend yourself, God will let you. But if you choose to let the Lord be your defense, he'll work it out.
0: When you're falsely accused of something, whether it's a big thing or small, your gut reaction is likely to get defensive. You want the truth to be known, to save face, to keep the faith of the people who know you. But maybe God wants you to trust Him instead. In today's message, Pastor Daniel shares what this looked like in Nehemiah's life, and how this faithful man's response to false accusations honored the God he was serving. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 5 as he continues his message, When Issues Arise.
1: People are more important than your bottom line in God's economy. We always have to be careful that we are not using someone's vulnerability to enrich ourselves more than necessary. And when you start to see people the way God sees people, see, for the children of Israel, it was not about one of them getting wealthier, one of them making some money, at the expense of one another. They were supposed to see themselves as a community where they worked for one another. They took care of one another. And it's one of the things I love so much about the Crossroads family because we see this week in and week out in the midst of our community where people are looking out for one another. They're joining one another. They're saying, hey, listen, I have this extra vehicle and so-and-so, you know, the vehicle got totaled and you know, I'm just gonna give them the car. Like you have all this stuff that's going on because, and when you get to the book of Acts, of course, the early church inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know, they did this out of the movements of the Spirit in their life. Go read Acts chapter two, go read Acts chapter four. Over and over and over again, the people of God were inspired by the Spirit to esteem others higher than themselves, And the issue that was going on for the children of Israel was that there were people who were making money on this calamitous situation that they were in. And Nehemiah calls it out. And what's beautiful is right as they were called out, things started to change. Notice by the time you get to verse 12. So they said, we will restore it. We will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Now, here's the deal, my friends. Nobody is perfect. Everyone say, nobody is perfect. Look at the person next to you and say, including me. Now, if you're you're talking to your spouse, to your parents, everybody already knows that. Now, here's the deal. Because nobody's perfect, we get stuff wrong. And here's the key. If somebody in the name of Jesus loves you enough to call you out on something that you're doing wrong, wisdom says that you say, we're sorry and we're gonna make it right. Foolishness says, who are you to talk to me that way? Don't judge me. I always know when someone's trying to skirt the issue. Don't judge me. Right? Now listen, sometimes people do judge you. And it's wrong when they do it. But wisdom realizes I am imperfect. Remember we talked about a spirituality of imperfection? So if someone brings something like, and listen, when someone comes to me, in the best scenario, I am humble enough to hear it and say, okay, will you pray for me? Even if I don't know if it's true. Because even if I don't quite agree, I'm sure there's probably something there. Because I'm imperfect. And I know that I'm imperfect. And I love the fact that these nobles and these rulers right away say, okay, I gotta fix this. Nehemiah's right. This is from God. And that's how transformation happens. The ability to be open-hearted to say, you know what? I probably gotta grow here. Now, we're gonna move on because now we see Nehemiah functioning differently than what we just saw so nehemiah chapter 5 verses 14 to 19 so what you got to love about nehemiah is not only did he you know actively engage to alleviate oppression but nehemiah did something else that is a great principle for each one of us as we move through this world and that's that each one of us should choose to sacrifice for the common good Should choose to sacrifice for the common good because Nehemiah is really saying here that he chose not to enrich himself or even receive what had been the custom for governors when he was in the position of leading Jerusalem. It says here that he he was the governor for 12 years, right? But he didn't eat the governor's portion. He realized that with all that was going on with the wall being in tatters, he realized with all the oppression, people are starving, people are, are, are mortgaging their lives trying to survive, he did not feel comfortable living in extravagance in the midst of so much sorrow. And so he chose for himself to be different than all the other governors. Look what it says in verse 15, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and they took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver even their servants ruled over the people. But he's like, but not me. He's like, instead, and even tells what they ate. It's like, Nehemiah was a man of principle. He wanted to make sure that his testimony as a leader was rock solid. He's like, man, all, you know, all we, we ate one ox and six joint sheep. And we had some, some bird, you know, we had some chicken, some turkey, whatever was there. You know, some quail. And he said, oh, yeah, and once every 10 days, we had uh, all different types of wine. Now, before you think that Nehemiah is a lush, you have to remember that in that culture, fermented drinks were the only sanitary beverage. This was long before there was uh, reverse iodized water, tap water with fluoride, even if you think that's bad for you. You know, it, back in the day, there were, and it was the desert. They lived in the desert. So even in the rainy season, there wasn't a lot of water. And if you've ever been to Israel, right, you have like the Sea of Galilee in the north, then you have the Dead Sea. You ever try and taste the Dead Sea? I had my wife do it. I'm so bad. We went to Israel and we're at the Dead Sea and, and like we're there and like the Dead Sea has got so much salt in it that if you, if you float, you just float. No one sinks in the Dead Sea. So you definitely can't drink it. I'm like, oh, Lynn, I'm like, people, you know, we're here in the Holy Land. I'm like, people drink that. It's real. it's good for you. And Lynn's like, really, Daniel? I'm like, yeah, I'm mean that way you gotta pray for my wife so I had the camera too you know what I mean I'm like oh I taste it she oh, took a picture I'm like nice Then so I was like why'd you do that to me I'm like I'm sorry so don't ever do that and if someone tells you to drink the Dead Sea don't drink the Dead Sea it's dead for a reason you know but the thing is this is like fermented beverage was the only thing that was healthy because the fermentation killed all the stuff in there you ever, you ever go camping you know, and even if you go camping, and not camping where you bring your TV in the back of your truck, that's not camping. That's, that's living in your living room outside. But like you get in a tent, like <laughs> some of you do that, right? You have like a generator, you have a TV. You bring your recliner, I know how it is. It's the Northwest, we're lazy. But, but you have to bring a water purifier because even you find a stream, there's all giardia, there's all these different parasites in there, you get sick and it's horrible. And so the idea of having all different types of wine, it was not about getting drunk, it was about just drinking, like having hydration in that culture. But what I love so much is that what Nehemiah is doing is he's literally modeling servanthood for the people. And he's sacrificing for the common good of everybody. And of course, Jesus talked about this in uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 26 and 27, where it says, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet... I am among you as the one who serves. Now again, what I love so much about Jesus is he roots servanthood in himself. He's like, who's greater, the one who's at the table or the attendant to the table? He's like, of course, the person who sits at the table. He's like, but hey, me, I'm your Lord, and I'm here serving you. And the children of God are voluntary servants of others. You don't have to be, you choose to be. You get to be. And you choose to be, and you get to be because you follow Jesus who served the world by coming on a rescue mission, leaving heaven's glory, and dying on a cross for our sins. Jesus sacrificed what was his due given his position for the common good. Nehemiah does the same thing. And God wants us to be servants Just like we're seeing here. And I I love this because notice Nehemiah's little prayer. Nehemiah's the master of like the one sentence prayer. Notice this, verse 19. Remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. I love that. He's saying, God, don't forget what I'm doing for the betterment of people. What a beautiful prayer. And he's not saying, God, you owe me because of what I'm doing. He's saying, That word remembrance in the Bible, it always speaks of pointing people to remember the God who made the covenant. God, remember the covenant that you've made and I'm trying my best, God, to live in the midst of that reality. So when you sacrifice for the common good, it's not wrong to say, God, remember me for what I'm doing right now. You see, see, I'm trying, Lord. Look at the work that I'm trying to do. Not that you, God, you owe me because I did this. But Lord, I do this because of your covenant. So now as we move into Nehemiah chapter six, you see all the issues that are going on here. There's economic issues. Nehemiah's making sure he's not overstepping what he could do. But there's all sorts of other issues that are going on in the life of the children of Israel as well. So talk about whacking moles here, huh? It's like Nehemiah moves from all the economic hardships of the people and now he still has all of this garbage going on with these folks on the outside. We keep hearing about Sanballat and Tobiah and Gisham and all these different guys who are creating issues for Nehemiah and his leadership. Really what we learned here is that you and I, we need to learn how to expose the lies. You have to learn how to expose the lies. See, these guys, their only goal is to undermine exactly what God wants to do in and through the life of Nehemiah. And they're using a series of different means to get it done. First verses one to four, they're using this idea of intrigue. Hey, come, we need to get together. Come travel these 25 miles to the plains of Ono. We're going to have to sit down and we're going to talk. We have to, you know, make sure that everything's going fine for you. You know, but then they move from intrigue to innuendo, verses five and, uh, you know, going on down to verse nine, where they're saying, oh, you know, because he's not willing to come, now really what we realize is that what Nehemiah does, he wants to set himself up as a king. So he's going to rebel against the Persian Empire. Oh, and he's got prophets. He's got these guys that are going around saying, oh, man, God wants Nehemiah to be the king. So he's not doing that, but they're bringing up this innuendo. And then finally it lands at intimidation, that last section. Hey, Amen. listen. Someone comes and says, man, we need to go into the temple. They're coming to kill you, right? So there's different strategies that the enemy uses to keep you from fulfilling the purposes that God has. But in every single step, Nehemiah knew exactly who he was and what God had called him to do. And Nehemiah was not taking the bait right? I mean, you notice what goes on. They send to him, and then Nehemiah is so, I I, I love Nehemiah. Look at verse 3. I'm doing a great work so that I can not come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Isn't this so cool? Like, Nehemiah is like, I'm about my father's business. Why should the work stop while I go talk to you? No, and listen, you want to live your life in such a way that if something comes up, you're like, yeah, I'm doing a great work right now. I can't really go do that right now. I think the reason why so many of us take the bait is we're not doing great work. We're just kind of of sliding through life. You want to find yourself involved in the work of God's kingdom. And even though they sent down messengers all these different times, he's not messing around. And then finally they come and they come with this innuendo we are like, oh man, you're setting yourself up to be a king. But notice Nehemiah again, verse eight, no such thing as you say are being done but you invent them in your own heart, for they were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work. So once again, and Nehemiah realizes, like, these guys are lying. And of course, this reminds me of John chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus said, you are of your father. Now, it's amazing Jesus speaks this way. You are of your father, the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the what? The father of lies. So these guys are lying, trying to divert the work that Nehemiah is doing. And then ultimately they land at this idea of, you know, uh, straight up intimidation come on into the temple, be protected. They're gonna come and kill you. And Nehemiah knew that he had no business in the temple because he wasn't a priest. They're saying, come and be safe. But Nehemiah realized, oh, no, 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 this is false prophecy. They're just trying to discredit me. And here's what I want you to know about this. y'all. We have a tendency to think, oh, man, the enemy is really after leaders. I'm here to tell you, enemy is after everyone who follows Jesus. Plain and simple. Listen, the enemy hates your marriage. He hates your commitment to Jesus. He hates you reading the scriptures. He hates you talking to God. He hates you saying, I do not wanna be what I used to be, but I wanna be something else. I'm here to tell you, the enemy doesn't need to do a lot of work outside of the church because he's already got people bound up, bound up in addictions, bound up in unbelief, bound up in all this stuff. The enemy comes to church, and the reason the enemy comes to church is what he wants to do is he wants to knock you off your game, and he uses all different tactics. If one doesn't work, he tries another one. He's like, oh, this won't work. I'll try this. This won't work. I'll try this. This won't work. I'll try this. This one used to work. I wonder if I can bring it back around again. That's why those of you with an addiction background, you know what I'm talking about, right? You get yourself cleaned up. Praise the Lord, and then if you're not on guard, all of a sudden you start making those soft choices again. He knows that's an easy one to fall into. He keeps changing his tactics because his one goal is exactly the same, to thwart the plan of God in and through your life. But you have to learn how to expose the lie. See, Nehemiah is always focused on this is what God has. Now, I love this because Nehemiah, all the way through all of this, he's not just living on his own devices. Notice what he says at the end of verse nine. Another great one-sentence prayer. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Man, I want you all to, man, underline all of Nehemiah's one-sentence prayers. Literally. When was the last time you said, Lord, strengthen my hands so that I can do the work that you've called me to? You get down to verse 14. Well, it also says in verse 12 that he perceived that God had not sent him. So Nehemiah had the discernment to realize that the whole, like, intimidation, they're gonna come kill you, it's all a lie, Right? But then he says, verse 14, my God, remember to buy and Sanballat according to their works and the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who would have me be afraid. Remember how earlier he said, Lord, remember me for the work that I'm doing? He prays the exact same prayer for his enemies. And it's really powerful because Nehemiah doesn't say, Lord, I want you to do this to them. The Lord's like, no, if the Lord remembers them in accordance with the covenant, then the rewards of serving Jesus will be seen and the rewards of undermining the work of Jesus will also be seen. See, Nehemiah is totally confident in the justice of God, that God's gonna work it out. And in a lot of ways, when you become confident that God will work it out, then you realize that you don't have to. How many of us are trying to get justice for something we think is wrong and it's like, yeah, hey, you're defending yourself. Listen, if you defend yourself, God will let you. But if you choose to let the Lord be your defense, he'll work it out. I remember hearing this story about this. This was, a, gosh, in the Great Awakening, there was a pastor and God was doing amazing work. It was, it was the Great Awakening. So there was a revival going on in the Northeast at the time. And there was a pastor who some people in the congregation had become envious of and they devised this whole plot that it was like a whole lie about this guy. And literally, it was like a total lie. Like they fired the guy, all the stuff went on. And the guy just didn't say anything. He's like, all I'm going to tell you is it's not true. Right? 20 years later, put out of the ministry, out of the church, 20 years later, the people were so overcome with conviction that they lied about the pastor, that they actually confessed it to the church, and the church invited the guy back, and he came back. That is so not a 21st century American way of doing things. But I'm always like, wow, what a crazy story. I mean, this guy, it was a guy being used to the Lord. He was a cute, and it, was, he didn't, like, it was like he didn't handle a situation well or whatever it was. And he literally was like, I didn't do that. But if you want to believe that, I'll take this however it comes. Out of the pastor for 25 years. And then God did a work. They literally confessed it. And they invited the guy back. And he came back and pastored the people faithfully till the end of his ministry. But listen, when you know that what you're doing honors the Lord, you can trust that over time. So it's amazing now as we get to the end of chapter 6 that the walls got completed in 52 days. But notice it says, uh, this always cracks me up, you know, where it's like earlier it said that the walls were up but the gates hadn't been done. And really there's a simple principle here is you guys, you and I, we need to keep working until the work is done. You need to keep working until the work is done. Now, Nehemiah shows up 52 days, tons of work, but he didn't stop until it was completed. And and in a lot of ways, I think one of the great struggles that we all have is the fact that we want to get the work, we get the work 90% done and we don't finish the job. And modern science teaches us that it takes as much energy to finish like the last 6% of a job than it does to do the first 94%. Because there's something about our nature where we almost get the job done and we kind of leave this stuff open. And I think what's amazing is that is Nehemiah was so focused on fulfilling what God had that anybody could have done this, but Nehemiah was willing to show up and show up until the job is done. You know, and I want to encourage you. This is what a great picture of faithfulness. Faithfulness is not just showing up, but showing up and fulfilling what Needs to be done here. And faithfulness is in short supply today, isn't it? I want to encourage you, keep showing up. I think one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to get us to stop showing up. Oh man, it's almost finished. You know, it's one of the things that we do as a church a lot. Like we talk about this a lot as a staff because, you know, there's always so much going on here. And it's like, man, it's like, okay, man, like we just got to just finish the job so we can move on. Let's just let's finish it, button it up, move on to the next thing, right? Because you know what happens, like a lot of folks, like you get the thing almost done, like, oh, it's good enough, and then you go on, and it's never quite done. But really, faithfulness is seeing the thing to the end. Okay, I'm gonna see it to the end, right? And Nehemiah does that, and in the midst of all that's going on, the faithfulness of Nehemiah and the children of Israel to fulfill what God is asking them to fulfill then the enemies of the people around them, they're starting to be discouraged now by the faithfulness of God in the midst of the people. And even we start finding out that the reason Tobiah had access was because there were people who knew him. He had family members who were within the midst of the children of Israel. And they were sending him letters. They were getting information to him, he was getting information to them. And so there's people working the back channels to undermine this. But yet, even with all the garbage going on, all the issues, all the moles that are coming on up, now all of a sudden the work is getting done. And brothers and sisters, listen, here's what I want to tell you. Until we take our last breath, the work of life is not done. No matter what season of life you're in, the key is, is will you show up and fulfill what God has called you to fulfill?
0: Jesus is real. There's something you're supposed to be doing in this life. It's part of God's plan, and He's designed you perfectly for it. And today Pastor Daniel urged you to figure out exactly what that is. You can know what God wants you to do while you're still here on earth. So don't wait to find out. Once you know, continue walking the path God's given you, despite any challenges. God is with you. Take comfort in that. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy
1: and the hard reality is if it isn't messy for you now, it will be and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at
0: jesusisrealradio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio as Pastor Daniel reminds you of God's heart. It's for people. So often we get caught up in mundane tasks and simply wanting to get through the day, the week, the month. But what ministry opportunities might we be missing? Look around you as you walk through your day and ask the Lord to open your eyes to where or to whom you can shine his light.